Blog Talk Radio. November 21st, 2020. We are still in one piece. We're still one nation. And you, if you are listening right now, you have tuned in to At the Edge Think Culture. Um, today, um, our guest is Dr. Craig Wynn. Um, he's our newest professor in the English program at UDC. And We're going to talk today about Dr. Wynn's latest book, How to Be a Happy Bachelor, where he discusses how to think critically about society's perceptions of marriage, how to overcome your stigma, fear of being alone, and even how to respond to society's judgments. How are you doing, Craig? What's going on? I'm doing very well. The weather is very nice. I was able to uh, just head out nicely, uh, head down to the farmer's market uh, in my neighborhood uh, just now, just enjoying, just enjoying the weather as a solo before the before the weather starts getting cold. So, uh, so yeah, doing quite well. Yeah. How about yourself? Yeah. Not too bad. Not too bad. I'm to the point of staying inside lately, um, probably because I'm a little paranoid about the rising numbers. I said I wasn't going to talk about COVID-19, and I, here I was, uh, and I just walked right into it. But other than that, <laughs> the funny thing about it is, is I look outside right now, and it's already darkening. It's 4.30. It actually started getting dark around 3.30, um, and I feel like I'm in New England. Um, I feel like I'm in Connecticut right now. I don't feel like I'm in Vermont. Vermont, it would be cold. Um, this feels like the mid-Atlantic. It feels very typical. And so I didn't grow up around here. I grew up in Ohio. And so it's interesting because of global warming, the weather is pretty much the same in, in Ohio, whereas in years past, um, 
light snow, cold, frozen ground, yeah, um, that kind of thing, you know, the lake effect on Lake Erie. So it's very different. I don't know. Um, where are you from? I'm originally from uh, from outside New York City, a town called Spring Valley, New York. It's uh, yeah, just about 30 minutes uh, northwest of uh, of New York City. Uh, that's where I'm that's where I'm from okay. originally, and I lived in just that general area for the first 32 yeah. years of my life, minus the uh, four years I went away to uh, school up in a town called Plattsburgh, New York, and uh, I oh, uh, I got my doctorate really? from from El Paso, Texas, University of Texas at El oh. Paso, and uh, after I finished that, I uh, spent six years at Hampton University in uh, Hampton Roads, Virginia, and uh, yeah, and I'm happy okay. to be here in D.C. I find that this, uh, yeah. this urban uh, environment is, uh, you know, I gel with it pretty nicely here. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, I'm very, you're, very happy to be here, so short answer yeah. is I'm from all over. Yeah, well, pretty much like me. I mean, growing up in Cleveland, then ending up in Atlanta, um, I was at Clark College and then at Georgia State, and then I ended up here. I actually finished my undergrad at UDC, um, 93, and um, right across from um, Lake Champlain, from Plattsburgh, I was in Burlington, Vermont, where I did my master's um, in English. Oh, I love Burlington. Yes, I love Burlington. Burlington, and of course, Old Gold, I don't know if you remember them, or um, I can't remember the name of the club, but that was where goldfish used to, were fish, the group fish. Oh, yeah, yeah, fish. The other. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. And, of course, yeah, let's not yeah, forget. They, they, got, they got their start, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of a fan yep. myself. So I've, I've seen yeah, them yeah, a few so, times. So, they, right. Yeah, they're pretty, and, yeah, they're pretty big up in that region, yeah. Right, right. And so once you... You know, I, I I only spent two years there, but it was it was long enough to kind of get me into that New England kind of energy. And by the time I left, I was very much accustomed to beer, very much <laughs> accustomed to gravy, uh, fries with gravy. <laughs> oh, poutine! Oh, poutine! Yes, I miss poutine. <laughs> Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yes. And Michigan, and yes. Michigan dogs too. Uh, those, uh, those chili dogs. It has a, it has a special spice. Uh, I don't quite know yeah. what to put into it. But yeah, it was right. really good. Yeah. So yeah, and of course, you know, I ended up at UConn. That's where I did my PhD. And when you know, you just say UConn, and people will be like, "Oh, well, you spent all your time out there with those cows." No. Um, I spent a, I actually spent a lot of time, um, well, you know, it's sort of like a, a, a sort of a, a women's haven, um, and that means, you know, um, you know, going up to, you know, Brown Smith College area and, and whatnot, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm, 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 I'm fading on, on, on the memory here. But basically, it's sort of like a lesbian haven. And at that time, I was, well, that was when I really started being out as a, you know, as a bisexual woman, being out as weather, being out as, you know, um, being polyamorous. And so at that time, that's when I started um, really just kind of, you know, that's when I started writing. He finished the courses. 
and you start writing. You know how that is. But that's when you really find right. it. Right. Oh, yeah. And so, it's a yeah, and so I saw a lot of people, I saw a lot of people getting married and divorced quickly after having a couple of kids because that's what you're supposed to do. You have your kids while you're in grad school and, um, you know, you fuck around and, and, and end up um, divorced and whatnot. I didn't do that. Um, I lived with a woman and at the same time um, was in two different relationships with two different men. And at some point in time, you know, in between, you know, the short, brief, you know, relationships, and they were not short and insignificant. These were very important relationships um, to me as a writer, to me as, as my, you know, in my development. Um, but my relationship with my former partner, and I'm, I don't name names, I don't dox people, um, that was a very important relationship to me in terms of understanding something about how I wanted to conduct relationships, whether it be with a man or a woman. And that is this idea or notion that, first and foremost, being in a relationship is a choice. It's not an obligation. Um, Second of all, that there has to be some, there has to be levels of communication. There has to be honesty, there has to be trust and whatnot. And third of all, that jealousy is a sign of there's some neglect as opposed to looking at it as, well, you've got to be with me and only with me. I don't think that's very healthy. And I kind of feel right. as though if, right. if, yeah. if, that, if that's the motivation for, you know, if, if your motivation for, quote, unquote, staying faithful is, you know, well, that's what the Bible says or that's, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, to look bad or, or I, you know, I, 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 I own this person. None of that's very healthy. And I right. kind of feel as though there's a lot of people who probably need to rethink and what monogamy is, it's, it's a choice, just like polyamory is a choice, just like it's a choice whether to be in a relationship or not. I think a lot of people ended up being in relationships, marrying before they figured out whether they wanted to be or whether they should. And I'm at 54, and I'm not a person who says that I'm opposed to being in a relationship. I'm not opposed to marriage. I'm opposed to lack of consent, lack of communication, lack of goal or purpose, and lack of understanding of what that means if you're joining two individuals. It's not me melding into a man. That's the the patriarchal model where you're melding into a man and he owns you and you, you know, but you have some women who think that about their husbands too. Well, he's, you know, I own him. I'm behind him. You know, the power, I'm the power behind. It's always about domination and it's never about cooperation. And my apologies, but I just came fresh from an activist training session and we were talking about power relations. And I can't help but feel that um, in a lot of ways, when people talk about coupling or singlehood, it's always about domination and manipulation. And that cooperation is a product of 
domination and manipulation as opposed to cooperation through coming to middle ground and negotiating and putting away and putting to the side domination and manipulation. Now, that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about BDSM. That's learning how to turn it on and off. I'm talking about everyday interactions with people. If you can't get up out of bed and think about somebody without thinking about how to get over on them, there's a problem. So there's, I think that there's, a, there's something to be said about, you know, making that choice. And so I want to kind of get a good sense from you. That title is Deceptively Like How to Be a Happy Bachelor. But what's it really all about? All right, well, there I could go on for hours about that. Uh, essentially, there's, I have to give some context about this one. Essentially, there are a lot of books out there about how to be single that are not about, you know, how to find the right one, you know, how to find the uh, right partner, how to hook up or whatever. There are a lot, there are a lot of books uh, um, on that, uh, on that issue. But uh, essentially on a little stories, uh, you know, about, uh, about taking 2015, uh, I had been uh, seeing someone and uh, after we broke up, I was kind of down, uh, down and out about uh, being, uh, about being single. And I just happened to be Googling one day and I, I came across this scholar named Bella DePaulo, who's devoted uh, the last uh, the last fifteen twenty years uh, to studying singlehood, and she coined a couple of a uh, couple of terms. Uh, one of them is singleism, which is essentially the stigma and stereotyping around singlehood, around adults who don't follow traditional conventional relationship paths, so which, uh, which, which we can call it, which uh, a writer named Amy, Amy Guerin referred to as the relationship escalator, where you date, you become exclusive, marry, have children, buy the house, uh, you know, all that, uh, all that sort of thing. And she, she also coined another term, matrimonia, which is societal obsession with weddings and marriage. And I just went down a huge rabbit hole and uh, just uh, started researching and reading her articles about these, about this material. And I bought a number of her books and uh, just over the next uh, few years, I just kept blogging and uh, writing about these issues. I, uh, I've written some articles and published them on websites. I published a scholarly article about it. And eventually this, while I was at, when I was at my old, uh, institution, Hampton University, I decided to theme one of my composition courses around the issue of marriage and singlehood. And students read some of DePaul's work. And uh, in order to uh, to appear unbiased, I also had students reading uh, pro-marriage material as well. And and it led to some really good discussions. And one day, uh, a representative from a a textbook company came into the office of my department chairperson. And we sat sat down and had a conversation. Uh, He was trying to get us to adopt a, a customized textbook for our first year writing courses and I just happened to mention in passing that I had taught a themed composition course around marriage and singlehood and was kind of tapping at a book for single men because going back to thing, uh, there are a lot of books about how to just be a happy singleton but most of them are geared toward women there aren't uh, there weren't any that uh, that I could find that were geared 
toward men. So, so it's kind of like Toni Morrison said, if you, you know, if you want to read a book that hasn't been written, then it's your responsibility to write. I don't know if I mangled her quote, but, uh, but essentially I, uh, I get it. I want to read this book. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, this, this, rep, this representative, Curtis Ross from uh, Kendall Hunt, he, he looked at me and he said, you know, I would like to publish that. So, you know, so I spent the next year uh, just uh, working tirelessly uh, about this book. So, uh, you know, how to be a happy bachelor, uh, you know, the title could be, I could see how it might be a little bit misleading because when we think of the word bachelor, I mean, the popular connotation is, uh, you know, that of a, uh, you know, that of a playboy, you know, somebody who's just uh, on the make out to hook up in the clubs or what right. have you. And or, when I ask, or and when as, I ask or, my students. Right. Uh, or is it, uh, right, a straight up dog, because, you know, somebody who's just out there fucking, you know, fucking up a story, right. you know, that, right. that, that right. whole macho bullshit, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. When I ask, and when I ask my students uh, what they think of when they hear the word bachelor, those are the associations uh, that come to their mind. But it's so much uh, deeper than that. You know, I actually lay out the specific definitions of what uh, singleism and matrimonia are. And, uh, you know, and men might, men could feel, uh, a lot of men could just feel as uh, down about uh, not having a partner as, uh, as women might just, uh, just, you know, as, as men, we're not uh, really uh, encouraged or taught to express our emotions or to get in touch with our emotions, which, I, which is a very dangerous the idea it can be very harmful to uh, to men and to women so you know so I, I i try to teach uh, i try to teach readers about these terms and that if they're feeling uh, that for a lot of them if they're feeling down in the dumps about uh, being single that uh, they could be internalizing a lot of these messages about uh, you know about uh, well you need uh, well you need a partner in order to be considered uh, like a full member of society to be considered a man or uh, or what have you and uh, and I teach them how to be critical of these ideas I I teach them about how to look at the certain facets of our society like popular culture that's one of my areas of study how popular culture and media contribute to right. these messages, you know, and if we, uh, I'm glad that you, take... I'm, I'm glad that you, yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because um, popular culture perceptions, you know, like, you know, all of these paradigms that say that um, your status, you know, according to whether you marry or not, who you marry, um, their income, their race, and of course, you know, as as a black woman. I can I can tell you that um, your status in you know w- you know with you know within American within the larger American society and within our communities within our neighborhoods um, within our um, you know within our our circles our church circles and, and whatnot you know having a wedding ring no matter how much you say that you are about female empowerment, women's empowerment, if you're still stuck on that, if you're still insisting on that, if you're still, say, if you're still saying that the reason why the black community is suffering so much is because of all of these single mothers and pointing fingers, we spent pretty much the last half of the 20th century pointing fingers at black women who... Um, were burdened with um, 
raising children without benefit of, you know, the father in the home. And this idea or notion, and, and so you end up being wrapped into that. And so if you get divorced, you know, fingers are pointed at you. Um, if you don't marry, if you don't have any interest in marrying, if you have no interest in having children, if you are not heterosexual, in other words, um, if you are not gender conforming. So there's so much of that. So pop culture, in other words, re- still reinforcing compulsory heterosexuality, still reinforcing um, social paradigms that are very much based on race, social class, in some cases, skin color, um, and, and whatnot. You know, so you, you wrap that in, and of course, the gender um, you know, uh, conformity, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so what you have, in other words, is a very narrow perception of who is valued and who is not. Um, people are stumbling over themselves because for the first time we have a Madam Vice President instead of Mr. Vice President. Um, and they don't know what to do with themselves. It's not as if we've never had. It's not as if we've never had a president who who was single. We have, and not in the 20th century. In the 19th century, we had presidents who never married, presidents who were widows, presidents who were divorced. But in the 20th century, the so-called, and in particularly the last half, and going into the 21st century, we have this hyper-focused on if you are in a position of leadership, you must be heterosexual, you must be upper class, and you must be married to a woman. So the leader must be a man. He must be dominant over the wife. So that's what we had in place for the last four years, sort of a, it was a joke, really. This man literally found, found a, a, a sex worker and turned him on, and he got what he wanted. He got what he paid for, you know, which is high end. I'm not shaming her, by the way. I don't shame sex workers. Um, my shaming has nothing to do with that. My shaming is the fact that both of them seem to be social gaps. But look before. I'm going to say something that's going to piss some people off. The Obama paradigm, they built on that. It was almost resentful in a sense, that example. They are, you know, they were like, they were better than the Cosby's. Better, much better, much better. But this idea or notion that you have this, this paradigm. So what happens to everybody else? And so luckily for us, they turned out to be allies for all the rest of us who don't fit that narrow paradigm. And then the next couple came in, and they were assholes. So now we have some semblance of sanity that's about to come in, and that's going to model what's going to be happening. But we still have that same paradigm. And I'm not opposed to marriage. I'm not opposed to heterosexuality. I'm not opposed to people being happy. I'm opposed to it being imposed as the only model 
of existence for adults. I think that's where you're going. Am I right? Right. Or am yeah, I right. Off? Exactly. Exactly. And I'm not anti-marriage or anti-romance either. Right. You know, I think the right. you know, the, the, the traditional, oh, yeah, the traditional very <laughs> style path can be a very good right. thing for some right. people, and some people uh, you know might uh, you know might need might need that. That just might be some people's uh, path, but it, but it's not the case for everyone. And I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of steal a quote from a guy named Peter McGraw. Peter, if you're listening, I'm gonna give a shout out to you. That uh, I'm not against marriage, but I do think it's overprescribed. And when I say overprescribed, yeah. what I essentially mean. Is that uh, it seems to be the uh, you know the solution to uh, to everything that uh, you know if you're in a uh, domestic partnership or what have you then uh, you know then everyone asks okay so when are you uh, popping the question when are you going to put a ring on that so you know that uh, marriage seems has seems to have to be the next step in the uh, in the process that it can't just be uh, you know two partners uh, together who uh, care about right. each other why is exactly. it necessary to uh, you know to get the government to involve as far as far right. as that goes, so you know, and, right. and a lot it's of a, it's uh, as if it has to be policed. It has to be policed. It has to be written in, um, in you know, I mean, it's, there's the economic expectation. There are economic advantages, of course. There's tax advantages. Um, you know, who gets to inherit what? Here's the interesting thing: in the District of Columbia, right. you can have a domestic partnership without quote-unquote, marriage. And that's not right. just for men and women. Men, it's not just for same-sex domestic partnerships. It's also for um, different sex um, partnerships. And that's pretty much what I had when I was in Connecticut. Um, I almost said her name, child. Uh, <laughs> and so that's pretty much what I had. And mind you, one of the relationships that I was in, he was already in a legal relationship, but it didn't conflict with that because neither one of us were looking to disrupt that. And the other relationship was with somebody who was not necessarily interested in putting a ring on it, so to speak. But for that particular space, Emotionally speaking, sexually speaking, it it had a particular um, purpose. It had it had a particular connection, and he and I have remained friends. He's happily married and living very well. We all, you know, we're all friends. But at the end of the day, it, it's not about this thing of you know, this is my territory, this is my property, and that's what I think it really has become. Which is why. By the time those very fervent, passionately angry relationships end, the divorces are spectacular. The children are devastated. Or people stay in these really toxic relationships that need the end, and the children are still damaged, um, are still, because they're, they're living in the midst of it. And so kids grow right. up, they're adults, right. they know their parents are in a fucked up marriage, and they just kind of act as though they don't really see it. I know people who, um, who, whose parents live like that. I have a friend of mine, her father, they divorced, and then they kept living with each other. They do this in the South sometimes. They still live with each other. It was weird. 
it was very strange, very odd. People do very strange things, you know, live separate, legally married, do all kinds of stuff, but not really understanding that it's not just the legal bit, it's the social mark. When my mother made the decision to leave my father because their marriage had become supremely toxic and abusive, her family and her family was angry at her for leaving him. His family was angry at her for leaving him, even though those family members contributed to the damage and to the breakup. Marriages don't ever just break up just because two people have issues. It's the people around them, mostly family. It really is. And it's usually not some random chick or random dude who does it. It's family who does it. And so the thing about it is is that I think that might be the main difference, that if you're married, then you're becoming part of, you have two families that are coming together. But here's the thing. That's no longer happening because families themselves are scattered. They're scattering. They are scattered. If family units are scattered, then those family units break apart. And so you have a lot of people who are not really, you don't have these large family units. You have family reunions. My family was doing that, and then people died off, and suddenly people started divorcing, and people just, it, it did that. And so, you know, you have that, and, again, social class can play a part in it as well as race, um, racial differences. But even within the black, black community, you have several black communities, according to church. Not all of us are Protestant. Some of us are Catholic. Some of us are Kojic. Some of us, some of us are Muslim. Um, you know, all of those things, all of those factors can, can play a role. And now that people are moving all over the place, um, it's going to have an impact. People are not having children. So family units die off. You're going to see a lot of that in, in the 21st century because people are oh, not having kids. Oh, Statistics are projecting oh. just that. Yes. And so with all of that comes a need to redefine what is family, what is a relationship. I'm not a person who necessarily believes that I have to live with somebody in order to be in a long-term relationship or that there has to be, put a ring on it. (laughs) I'm not a person who necessarily believes in that. And I don't necessarily believe that it has to be one way or the highway. For some people, Sex is not an issue because sex is not something that is at the center or it's not something that has to be held up like a carrot. I'm a person who is highly sexual, and yet I've gone 10 plus years without it. And it's not as if I feel as though, oh, I'm being neglected. But I do miss the companionship. I do miss the intimacy of it. But what I do see is that because people are not really working on their emotional health, um, you have a lot of people who are in relationships who are emotionally unhealthy and probably do need to take time to heal. 
That's what I did. I couldn't figure out why I was doing it. But for whatever reason, I just didn't have the desire to, to go out there. And that was because I needed to heal. And you've heard me talk about this, the weight loss, yeah. the, the, the seizures and all of that. And for some people, some people will stay in toxic relationships until it makes them physically ill. And they'll die because they have chosen that. I think being single um, has, its, has, its, has its emotional, physical, and spiritual dynamic. There's a reason why. You need to. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, and I think that's uh, one of the dangers of uh, that of that type of stigma. Of stigma, you know, the you know they, that people stay in toxic relationships because you know yeah. they're afraid to be alone, and uh, you know, and I think that yeah. can also contribute to a lot of these a lot of problems like domestic violence and uh, abuse yeah. that uh, you know a partner. Uh, you know, would, might be afraid to leave that type of situation because she just doesn't want to be alone. And I actually would like to uh, kind of go back to something you said earlier about the, you know, the, the legal sure. benefits of marriage, like the tax benefits. Uh, that I go, think go. is a huge mm. problem. And uh, and I talk about that uh, in the book as well. That you know, all of a sudden when you get married, uh, you know, you have all these tax breaks, and you know, with social security benefits. Uh, you can only leave them to a spouse. Like, if, you know, I couldn't leave them to a, uh, you know, to a friend or to a neighbor if I ever, or if I partner up again, uh, like a domestic hey. partner. So, I mean, why does, why can't I uh, choose to leave my benefits to someone, to somebody else? Why, do, why does it have to be to a spouse? And I think that's one of, that's just one of many, many ways I could go on about this for hours, but I know we're limited for time, but I, I do discuss this and, uh, the book, and that's something that we well, talk a lot about in uh, in single yeah. studies is these kinds of benefits. You know, why uh, why why does this uh, how why does this marriage have to be the uh, end all be all just so that I can uh, leave benefits to uh, to someone? And that's well, just one of course, many. Uh, right, right, and and if that's the and that's see that's part of the problem. Some people think that relationship development ends at the at the altar, and then it. <laughs> If that's, if that's, if, and unfortunately, you have a lot of people who think like that. And so then they think, oh, well, then it's all said and done. And then it declines. Um, and that's probably what has happened to a lot of the younger generations. It declines and people are not really dealing with the ups and downs and ups and downs, therapy, you know, whatever it, it takes to do that. But you have some people who don't really progress even as single people. And that's I think I think a big part of that comes from the self-esteem that um, that at some point you do have to um, you have to learn how to live with yourself. And if there's one thing that I right. can say about me having various points of living with people and living by myself, that I do get so much more done with me. And it took me ten years. 10 years of really doing that. And I must say, as painful as it has been, it helped me to progress spiritually in ways that I don't think would have happened had I just jumped into another relationship. And sometimes you right. need to have that. You do. Right. And some people, for some people, you might be born to be, quote unquote, single or to be, you know, to be a monk 
or to be a quote-unquote nun, to be a spiritual person, to be a priest or priestess, because I believe that, you know, that there's a spiritual component to it. Whether or not you, that, because that's erotic energy, as Audrey Lord would say, erotic energy, or some people call it sexual energy, whatever it is that you want to call it, that energy, yes, you do use it, send it. For some people, it's poetry. That's what it's been for me lately. Um, right. For some people, it's, it's writing. For some people, it's teaching. For some people, it's preaching. For some people, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, activism and whatnot. I'm not saying that you can't do that with a partner or with a lover or with a wife or with a husband or with a spouse. I'm simply saying that you need to get it in your head within your own right so that when you do connect with a person, you both are on, you know, parallel paths that sometimes cross, but you work with each other instead of that dominant, submissive, or manipulative, you know, kind of situation. You are truly cooperative. And so I feel as though people who are single have a lot to teach folks who are in couples or who are in, who are trying to do organizing or who are trying to organize collectives, you know, for, for social justice. There's a social justice component to this, by the way, because oh, being single oh, does not mean, right, it doesn't mean that you buy your, you, that you buy yourself. It simply means that you are choosing how to spend that spiritual energy, that erotic energy. You're making a particular choice, right. and you are nourishing yourself, you are healing yourself, you are priming yourself for whatever it is that God has you on his party to do. And you don't have to believe, believe in God to understand that you need to have a room of your own. Yeah. Right, right. And, uh, and I'm going to drop another quote from, uh, from Belle DiPaolo. Uh, in uh, one of her uh, TED Talks, uh, she, she has a great quote. Uh, she says, Married people have the one, single people have the ones. And it's been found that singles tend to have wider networks of friends and uh, family because they keep in touch mm-hmm. with them because the entity is not necessarily focused around the one partner. Because for a lot of people, and I'm not, this may not be true for everybody, but for a lot of people who do partner up and marry, you know, their, their, their energy uh, tends to be focused on the spouse or the partner and that they have the children, uh, the child. So their friendship tends to fall by, fall by the wayside. Right. But, uh, but single folks, right. you know, we have a tendency, we, we tend to keep in touch with our friends and to build friendships. Right. And uh, one of the, uh, one, one of the reasons I was, one reason I was so excited about uh, coming to DC is because uh, I've, because uh, I've uh, built some networks of friends through uh, social media groups uh, before coming up here. And in the few short months that I've lived here, I've, I've already made some more friends through uh, me through meetup groups. I have virtually, but, uh, but still though, yes. uh, that's not something yes. for me. And I can only speak for myself, but, uh, but I don't think that's something I would have been able to do personally if uh, if I were uh, if I were with if I were living with a partner because my priorities would right. be uh, would be different. Exactly, exactly. And so and 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 so what I want to do is I want to end it and round it off by by saying this that I think that I I think that there is first of all we're, we're going to have to do another show. This, this, Absolutely. This, this, yes. We have to do another show. And so we are going to do one. We'll do it next semester. 
Um, sure. Second of all, yes, absolutely, and probably more than that. Um, but also, the, 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 the important thing is this, is that I think if there's one thing that people who are in couple situations is that one way of sustaining a long-term relationship is understanding that it's important to not drain the other. Communication is essential. We who are single, we expect it. We expect boundaries. We expect to, to hold the boundaries, and we, we follow other people's boundaries. It's, you know, it's how we are able to kind of build. That's something that I think people who are in couples, especially in very intense, emotionally abusive situations, they don't seem to get that. And so you'll have one person draining the other or the two draining each other, and by the time it's all said and done, there's nothing left. Um, right. I've seen it again and again and again. It's unfortunate. Absolutely. Right. So, right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So thank you, Craig. This was thank awesome. You. Thank you for this having was... me, Sharan. It, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, look yes, forward to yes. definitely doing it again. Yes, and um, and and so next time, you know, we'll definitely come together. I'm going to see if I can get my friend Bill or one of my other, um, uh, one of my other male friends to come on board and have us have us talk a bit more about this because there's a lot of us with PhDs who are living single, and right, we're doing very well. <laughs> so yeah. you know. In the middle of COVID nineteen, I think I'm. I think I'm. I think I'm all right. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not yeah, having any I, yeah. Same here. I mean, I've. Yeah. Uh, I've always been an introvert, so I've always enjoyed doing things by myself. So when they right. at the beginning of the pandemic, when they said stay home, I said, Yeah, no problem. I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was not what I was reacting. I was like, What am I already doing? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So. Um, I told you this is like, like, like being on a phone call, and I, it feels like it. I feel like I'm talking to an old friend, and so even though I've only known you for a few months, I feel like I've known you for many years. And so definitely, please come back to our show. All right, thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Craig. Thank Lynch. you. All right, take care. Take care. Thanks.